0: Let's listen keenly and observe this group, fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Hello and welcome, dear listener. Just two meerkats for you tonight on this episode, number 417. We're going to talk about news and politics and sex and religion. I'm Trevor the Iron Fist, with me as always, formerly our UK correspondent, now ensconced back in... Peter Dutton's electorate, Joe the tech guy. Joe,
1: well, how are you, Joe? Evening, all. I'm surviving. Slowly getting back into the um, Australian time zone.
0: There we go. That's Joe. So Joe got notes from me extremely late today, so he hasn't had a chance to read much of it because I didn't have internet on the weekend and a whole range of reasons. Anyway, Joe will work his way through it. Cut him some slack if he doesn't seem across it entirely, but I'm sure you won't notice. If you're in the chat room, say hello. John's there. Watley's there. Thanks for saying hello on this Monday evening at our new time of eight o'clock. And um, yeah, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to kick off with uh, just manipulation by the media of the thinking of the public, in a nutshell. A couple of examples of that. One will be local premier in Queensland Stephen Miles and a, uh, a press conference he was at, and then looking at the situation in Gaza and um, Israel and just the way our thinking about that is manipulated by propaganda and how a so
1: shocking beat up about um, Barnaby Joyce.
0: And I wasn't even going to mention Barnaby Joyce, but um, but seeing you have Joe, um, yeah, he was found sprawled on the street in Canberra, and just the different treatment, isn't it? Like the right wing side basically abused the people who took the the video of him and said they should have been helping Barnaby rather than selling the video. <laughs> in the news groups and didn't want to condemn him because they couldn't really judge what had happened and would have to talk to Barnaby to see what the truth was. So, uh,
1: Well, no, apparently the truth was he'd taken some medication which reacted badly with alcohol, which oh, he'd been warned about, but it wasn't right. at all his fault. No. No.
0: Okay. Well, well, believe that if you like, dear listener. That's one version of the story, so... Um, so, yeah, that was Barnaby. But, yeah, we're going to talk about um, media and, and how you just gotta be alert to what the media is doing. And once you are, you just spot these things from a mile away, I think. But so few people are alert to these things. It's very frustrating. Um, so we'll talk about that and a little bit about uh, Tucker interviewing Putin a little bit about Joe Biden sliding into dementia, Uh, and then locally the right for employees to disconnect and ignore emails from the boss after work, and a unique solution to our submarine problem, Joe, I didn't warn you about, which involves stealing a submarine. So stay tuned for that one, dear listener. (laughs) Indeed. So, um, yeah. Okay, so Stephen Miles recently appointed as Queensland Premier because Anastasia Palaszczuk resigned. He got the gig. And um, so in my circles, dear listener, (laughs) I do have contact with the conservative boomer class of Australia. So one sort of avenue to that that pool of thought comes by right-wing Tony who I Um, correspond with and talk to and unfortunately follow on his Facebook page, which saves me the trouble of subscribing to Sky News because Tony uh, virtually reposts whatever they're doing. And then just um, uh, down at the Gold Coast in the complex that uh, we we stay in frequently, a group of older people gather together there in the pool and talk about stuff. And they're an older boomer generation of the conservative end, most of them, not all. But um, anyway, my wife came back from being in the pool with this group and she said, have you heard about what the Stephen Miles has done and laughing at, at um, the victims of crime? And well, the, everybody in the pool is saying it's disgusting that they were talking about that lady who was murdered by the African gangs and that... Um, and then Stephen Miles was laughing about it. And I said, I spent so much time reading things, and I hadn't come across any of this, but of course I wasn't yeah. listening to Sky News. And I said, sure as eggs, this will be some sort of Sky News beat up over something. So a few Googles and whatever, and uh, I've got the clip anyway of, of what happened. So I'll play the clip and then I'll provide... context for it. So here we go.
1: The absence of any reference to youth crime in your speech to the Queensland Media Club would have been noted uh, by more than a few, including the people of those communities, Premier. I'm sure you can see the last two summers have been bookended by the murders of young mother, Emma Lovell, and just three days ago, grandmother.
0: So, for those who can't watch the video, he was initially chuckling at the beginning of the question and then as the questioner started listing the names of those people, his face got more serious. Joe, have you seen that clip before? Are you aware of this brouhaha? No. Right. Did that look particularly condemning to you of Stephen Miles? Did you look at it and go, what's going on here?
1: He seemed to be chuckling about the question being a bit random. It it was more, uh, he was shocked by the question just being out of what he was expecting. I think, yeah, I I think he was more laughing about the the bizarreness of the question. Correct.
0: The the context is that he was there at an event which was to talk about their um, uh, housing solution that the Queensland government has come up with. And um, so it's, it's a press conference for housing and the Brisbane Bureau Chief for Sky News, Adam Walters, asked Miles why he had not addressed the subject of, you know, violent crime in his speech, to which... Miles said, it was a speech about housing. So that all happened before that question. So Sky News saying, why didn't you talk about violence Uh, and why'd you leave that out of your speech? And Miles said, it's a speech about housing. And then the reporter from Sky News continued with asking a question about street violence, uh, youth crime. And it was because he pushed again on something that Miles had dismissed that Miles, you know, smiled and said, oh, come on. And that is the context that people need to understand when they're watching that video. And, of course, the Sky News clip of it doesn't give you that context. You've got to go and find it. Joe, it's just frustrating that people would think, even as much as you might hate the Labor Party and the Premier and whatever, it's, it's just not likely that somebody in his position is going to be laughing about somebody's murder.
1: No, I don't think so. I, I think and that's... You have think... to
0: think, what is going on here? What's the context? There must have been some reason. What, what is the wider thing going on here? But so many people, A didn't ask what that wider context might be. And then B, Joe, in this um, sort of Twitter post that I was looking at, which described this context and the reasons, you've still got half the people in the comment section saying, well, thank you very much. It's nice to know the context. That all makes sense now. Wish I'd known that. But then these other half still going... Makes no difference at all. The guy's a scumbag, fancy laughing at violence. And made no difference to their view whatsoever.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's very much all about tribes, isn't it? Yes. Um, it really doesn't matter. It, it's given us an excuse to be outraged and our tribe is outraged, therefore we'll be outraged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I am thinking doesn't come into it. It's, it's all to do with being a good member of the tribe. And if you're a good member of the tribe, you're outraged.
0: Yeah. I oh,
1: just, it's so frustrating and
0: disappointing. Like, if something really weird came out about Peter Dutton or something, laughing at something like that, you'd just go, hang on a minute, what was the context? I'd like to yeah, think I, mean, I would
1: anyway. I, um, I mean, the whole Barnaby falling off a planter box. Yes. It, it's, it's in character. I, I Yes, don't want to makes- cast aspersions, but uh, apparently he has a reputation for um, liking a bevy or two. Yes. So, so him falling over drunk in Canberra is not a shocking thing uh, and therefore doesn't require much scrutiny. Yes. Whereas for- Barnaby, I don't know, laughing at some Christian thing would be so out of context. But whether it was true or not, you'd be going, hang on, that doesn't sound right.
0: People have lost the capacity, Joe, to just go, there's something fishy about this, something not quite right. I mean, the guys made it to Premier of the State. You've got to have just a little bit of brains, if only when it comes to media management. Like, you've got to know how to kiss a baby and pat a dog. (laughs) Preferably don't get them mixed up. And um, give some people some credit and just think... But I just think, Joe, that I think the older generation is just way too trusting of traditional media. I know there's the tribalism aspect that you said, but I also think there's just this inherent trust that if, if they see it on the news or read it in a paper, they give it far more trust than younger people would...
1: Think. yeah i mean i I think it was around the eighties it all changed, wasn't it yeah so so people who grew up with the media before the eighties yes were used to a level of diligence um and the media was big money now the media is scrabbling for pennies mm. um so they are journalists, they literally churn out whatever they can um and If somebody is going to write a press press release on their behalf uh, and they have to do the minimum amount of work, they'll take it. And and I think um, Murdoch has, well, it was um, Fox News was the original, wasn't it? It was a Republican uh, press department effectively. Yes.
0: But even, you know, the Australian used to be a proper newspaper. Yeah. And it changed. And the people who read it, there's a lot of people who still think of it as the way it used to be and not the way it is now, which is a caricature of, of a right-wing rag.
1: Yeah. You I don't mean, get right, it. Right-wing broadsheet, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll say to people, like I could go into that pool tomorrow and say, you know, where did you get this from? You know it's from Sky News. You know that they're biased. Yeah, they're biased, but then the ABC and the Guardian are biased. So they're all, you know, it just evens out. I could, I've could. got to start getting a spiel ready on the bias of the ABC, Joe.
1: So, so my, my question would be, okay, they're biased in the opposite direction, you believe. Okay, do you mm. watch them? Do you, do you take your news from them as well and try and work out where the truth is? Because if one side is lying in one direction and the other side is lying in the other direction, Surely the truth is somewhere in the middle. Excuse me, Joe, while I write that down. That's really good.
0: Are you watching them as well? Good point. Are you watching them as well? Because there's a lot of the ABC that has actually got a right-wing bias. For example, insiders, compared by David Spears, ex-News Corp, very soft on on the right wing, ringers who come in there, softball interviews them. The panelists are invariably from Murdoch publications. It's a very right wing show. Occasionally has you know Nikki Sava there, but I mean even Nikki Sava, while she's currently viewed as left wing, used to be um, a right wing advi- advisor for a right wing um, politician. I think so. So there would be that um, off the top of my head as well. Um, Patricia Cavalas is is no lefty. Um, uh, the p- former Seven Thirty or at least Sales was yeah. not a lefty. That didn't make it easy for the left and would softball the the right. And um, another one off the top of my head, um, Lisa Miller is another one on ABC. Like you can name presenters who. Are, uh, are easily seen as being potentially soft on the right wing. But, yeah, that's a good one, Joe. I'll, try, I'll, I'll report back mm. as to how that, um, how that goes, Is to say, why well, are you watching them as well and trying to work out where the truth might lie between the two of them.
1: I mean, my news feed is Apple News and I deliberately haven't liked or disliked any content, so I get a mm. balance. And right. I can literally, by the headline, pick out where it's coming from. Yes. I, I can go, that's a Murdoch one. That, that's a Murdoch beat up. I can guarantee that. Yeah. Just by the headline. Um, and the same with The Guardian. Yeah. Uh, or even worse, some of the others like Jezebel and um, uh, Mamma Mia is the latest. Misandry. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, you see the headline, my bastard husband was a bastard. And you go, that's got to be Mamma Mia. Well, maybe he was. <laughs> maybe he was, but I mean, you can tell it's every headline that comes up in the newsfeed from them is about right. men behaving badly.
0: Okay, five, five ways to determine whether your partner is a bad dad or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, it's just uh, whether they're balanced, what crops up in my newsfeed just follows a content. The same yeah. as the Murdoch stuff does. The Sky News, the, the um, oh, Daily Fail. Yeah. Um, actually, I don't know if Daily Mail is Murdoch, but it's definitely right wing.
0: Um, look, I think it was the Daily Mail that told the backstory, at least, of this Stephen Miles story that I've just been explaining. So I think okay. I got the quotes from that. So, um, So, yeah, just frustrating that... People, A, don't look for the backstory. They don't suspect, um, they don't see the smoke and think there might be fire here. And then even when they are told (laughs) tribalism kicks in and they go, well, he's just an idiot anyway and he still should be kicked out.
1: (sighs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's very much a rather than challenging their assertions is asking them how they got to that position and what would change their mind. Mm. Uh, is the the sneaking attack.
0: Yeah. Lots of comments coming through on the chat. I'm going to try and address the chat at the end. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they sort of did a whole show where they just addressed their chat as a separate item. And I think what we might try and do is at the end of this, um, we'll just go back to the comments and try and address them at the end. So keep making your comments and I think we'll try and, run through them towards the end rather than interrupting the discussion um, with the comments. Let's try that, see how it goes. So anyway, that was Stephen Miles and my frustration with the Australian boomer class on that issue. And um, let's just think about Palestine, Gaza, Israel for a moment. Um, So... More than half a million Palestinians, one in four, are starving in Gaza, according to the UN. Uh, 1.3 million displaced Palestinians live on the streets of the southern city of Rafah, which Israel designated a safe zone but has begun to bomb. Families shiver in the winter rains under flimsy tarps amid pools of raw sewage. An estimated 90% of Gaza's 2.3 million people have been driven from their homes Joe, is there any end – what's the end game here for Israel? Is this just going to drive these people yeah. to starvation? The,
1: the, the end game is a depopulated Gaza Strip, isn't it?
0: Yep. They're either going to die of starvation or disease. At the or, rate gone.
1: or be or, refugees or, in a, another country.
0: Yeah. Or just be blown to bits by bombs in the meantime. They're just not letting up. Um, also, we did that um, discussion about the uh, UNRWA, the UNRWA, which was like the aid organisation, and mm-hmm. there were allegations that a dozen employees in an organisation that has, I don't know, what the is, 10,000 employees. It's a big organisation. Yeah. An allegation by Israel that a handful were uh, members of Hamas, and on the basis of the Israeli allegation, uh, the US, Australia and a bunch of others decided that they were going to stop funding that organisation. If any organisation needed money, if there were a group of people needing aid, it's pretty clear that they did, I, you know, my, my view was I don't care if it's proved that they were Hamas. I don't care if a thousand of them are Hamas. If a, if a reasonable proportion of the aid will find its way to Palestinians in Gaza, then that's good enough for me. Give them the aid, I say.
1: Yeah, I mean, the concern is that your aid is going to get diverted off to fund a terrorist it, and group. And
0: I, and I don't care if a, a large proportion is because I just think people, the innocent people there, who had nothing to do with anything that went on oh, on October 7th, um, deserve some help. But anyway, um, so Caitlin Johnston, um, one of my favourite bloggers, and uh, we'll be quoting her a lot in this episode, actually. Um, dear listener, um, much of your subscription money to this podcast ends up with Caitlin Johnston and the John Manadou blog as well as uh, an economist called Michael Hudson and a couple of things I subscribe to because I have to like the Courier Mail and The Guardian and whatever. But anyway, uh, Caitlin does get some of uh, your money via me because it uh, uh, gets returned back to her. So anyway, a few articles from her. And so she says that Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong has acknowledged that Canberra joined... um, bunch of other countries, in cutting off the funding without having seen proof of Israel's claims against the organisation. And as she said, if you're going to say a bad thing happened and we therefore need to cut off aid to the most aid-dependent population on earth, then you'd better at least be able to prove the bad thing actually happened. If evidence exists, then show it. If you insist on starving two million people, you can't do it on vibes alone. And um, she says, how is this not obvious to everyone? How is it not immediately obvious the instant it came up? Yeah. So I think Penny Bond's been wanting to reverse that decision and start funding again, I think.
1: Fair enough. Not
0: sure the latest, yeah. So um, still Caitlin Johnston returning back to our original theme. So we talked about Miles and the sort of propaganda of Sky News, and now we're just going to sort of look at the propaganda in relation to Gaza, Palestine, Israel. So, um, Joe, did you happen to see Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin?
1: Strangely enough, no. (laughs) You've had lots of time on your
0: hands. Yes,
1: I don't tend to follow Tucker Carlson anyway. Yeah, neither and, and, do I. Mr. Putin, I don't know. Uh, I, I would trust a word that comes out of his mouth. Yes, any, that's fair. Any enough. more? Any other politician? Yeah. Even if
0: you thought that he, were, even if you were convinced that he was, he was lying with every second sentence, I still think it's worthwhile watching, because the guy, at least. Is intelligent and in control of his faculties and can run a compelling argument now it might be littered with bullshit but um, there is a brain and an intellect operating there far and above what Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Boris Johnson or Rishi Shunak or Anthony Albanese or others might offer
1: yeah, I mean, Boris Johnson, I I think, was one of those, he played a character of a bumbling fool, but apparently yeah. he was a very intelligent man, is a very intelligent man. Yes. Um, and the bumbling fool allowed him to get away with some absolutely shitty things.
0: True. If you're doing an intelligence test,
1: um, IQ test,
0: uh, probably... Boris Johnson would come out not too bad on that.
1: I mean, Biden, Trump, yes, absolutely. I think he's a bumbling fool. Mm. Um, And Biden, I think he's in his dotage. Yes. Uh, I don't know that it really matters in America because aren't they just puppets anyway?
0: We'll get on to (laughs) that. We'll talk more about that.
1: But um, I think
0: it was just interesting that he. He's yeah. It was probably an hour and a half or two-hour sit-down discussion between Putin and Tucker Carlson. And It was kind of like a podcast. It was just long-form conversation. And at one point, really at the very beginning, the first half hour or so, Putin's really giving a description of Russian-Ukrainian history as a means of trying to show that this geographical area currently known as Ukraine has always been, you know, Russian, if you like. and
1: um, Actually, it was Turkish. Uh, yes.
0: Y- y- maybe you should listen to what he says, Joe, and then you can pick it apart wherever you like. I'm, I'm, I'm right. summarising. He, he may okay. well have mentioned some Turkish involvement there. I can't remember. Right. But um, uh, at one point sort of Tucker Carlson is trying to, sort of rein him in and say, yeah, but come on, let's let's move on and talk about, you know, the war in Ukraine now and, and that. And Putin basically says to him, you know, are you doing a show or are we having a real discussion here? Are we having a real conversation? You know, I thought we were going to have a conversation, a real genuine conversation, not just some show. And then he says, bear with me. I'll, let me just keep going here. It's all... You'll understand why I've said it as I get through it. it that, that sort of
1: um, I, I'm, response. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, with, without wanting to go Godwin's law, I'm sure if you sat down with Hitler for half an hour <laughs> yeah. and had a conversation, he would tell you the history of Jews in Europe uh, yes. and why they were such a bad people uh, and why yes. they deserved to be wiped out.
0: Yeah. And, and at I'm the sure end you of would it. have a
1: long-form conversation which would <laughs> absolutely justify his yes. um, behaviour. Yes, and at
0: the end of it, you might go. That was a pack of lies, but gee, it was a well-constructed pack of lies. Yeah, that's my point. That's my point about the Putin interview. Is it might well be a pack of lies, but it was a well-constructed, elucidated pack of lies. Is my point. That's my first point.
1: Yeah, Um, Yeah. I'm I'm sure he has to sell it internally.
0: Yes. Yeah, and maybe two other countries in the global south and who is...
1: Possibly, and, yeah. and
0: China and other states like that. So, um, so yeah. Um, anyway, during the interview, um, Putin implied that NATO powers were behind the Nord Stream pipeline bombing. Shocking. Yep. And Tucker Carlson responded by asking Putin... Uh, why he didn't present evidence to the world so as to win a propaganda victory. And Putin said, quote, in the war of propaganda, it's very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media. So um, he sort of just made the point that, uh, what's the point? Um, the United States are the champions when it comes to propaganda. They control too much um, Basically, I, I wouldn't win that propaganda war. And um, Caitlin Johnson I, says, don't,
1: go on. Don't, I was going to say, I don't know that the United States do, but certainly vested interests do. Yes. The Western oligarchs do. Yes. Yep. Uh,
0: yes. And then, but the state kind of gets what it wants because it kind of, the oligarchs,
1: I would say, uh, if anything, the US is a tool of the oligarchs rather than the other way around.
0: Yes, and that the state is the result of what the
1: oligarchs want. Yes.
0: And if that's the case, then the state is probably going to provide the propaganda that the oligarchs want.
1: Yeah, but I think yeah, um, it's the versa. oligarchs who... The, the mm. oligarchs own the press.
0: Yeah. Although, let me just get on to that because... Yeah. ..um... So, Caitlin Johnson says, the US empire has by far the most sophisticated and effective propaganda machine ever to have existed, um, operating with such complexity that most people don't even know it exists. And in a fact-checking article, Five Lies and One Truth, from Putin's interview with Tucker Carlson, Politico Europe labels the claim um, by Putin that America is the king of propaganda. And the reason the Politico Europe says that is because Russia has a state-run media, whereas the US media is privately owned. And according to the Politico fact-checking article poo-pooing Putin's theory, they said, quote, the biggest news media companies are privately owned and operate without direct government control, in contrast to the state-controlled media landscape in Russia. And this was written by Politico's Sergei Goriazko. He said, he added, Russian state TV and the primary news agencies there are the property of the government and the Kremlin controls other media or destroys those not willing to collaborate. So he's saying Russia's a bigger propaganda machine because it owns the media, whereas in the US, it's privately owned. At the bottom of the article from Politico, it reads, Sergei Goriosko is hosted at Politico under EU-funded EU for Free Media residency program. And according to Caitlin Johnston... EU for Free Media is a European Union narrative management operation set up to help integrate Russian journalists in exile into leading European publications, i.e. to provide maximum media amplification to Russian expats who have a bone to pick with the current government in Moscow. It is run with the participation from Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, which are US government-funded media operations under the CIA. umbrella of the US propaganda services umbrella usaGM so the guy who was saying Putin is wrong because you are, you know Western media is privately owned worked for Politico which is essentially funded by the US government in a in a summary and creates these sorts of organizations to give the appearance of independent media commenting when, in fact, they're owned and operated essentially by the US government. Interesting case study, I thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Radio Europe is certainly known as a CIA front from mm. Cold War. Yeah. Or Radio so, Free Europe. I can't remember. It was certainly well known as yep. being a CIA front. Um, yeah, the, the big difference is, you know, as shitty as um, the West have been to Julian Assange, mm-hmm. um, he still hasn't fallen out of a window. Well, he doesn't, has he? No, but he's been locked away in Belmarsh
0: prison, like is it, you know, just like the, uh, the 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 Russian opposition leaders in a Siberian prison.
1: Yes, Julian's in a Be- Belmarsh well, but, but, high security but, 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 prison. Elmosh is slightly better than the it's, Gulag. It's one
0: of the worst prisons he could possibly be in. He's, yes. It's a really hardcore, terrible prison to be. Um, totally inappropriate for somebody who's committed the sort of, even if true, the, the, the crimes that are alleged.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, um, one doesn't justify the other, but I think there's a, there's a different scale of uh, dealing with the opposition.
0: You know, at least, least, say, the Russian opposition leader Mm -hmm. was arrested in Russia. Well, yes. For supposed crimes against Russia and put in a Siberian jail. Julian Assange, an Australian citizen, is not even in America and he's arrested for breaching an American crime... And he's not even in America. Yeah. Like, doesn't... Anyway, it's another rabbit hole. We might refer to that later as well. So, um, so as Caitlin Johnson says, there's an old joke that says, uh, a Soviet and an American are on an aeroplane seated next to each other. And um, the American asks, why are you flying to the US? And the Soviet guy replies, to study American propaganda. The American replies, what American propaganda? The Soviet says... Exactly. It's true. It's really true. People don't see it. (sighs) So as she says, let's talk about that sort of private ownership of media as opposed to government. She says anyone who's wealthy enough to control a mass media platform is going to have a vested interest in preserving the status quo upon which their wealth is premised and they will cooperate with establishment power structures in various ways, towards that end, that makes sense <sighs> the fact that these mass media outlets look independent but function as propaganda organs for the. US Empire allows its propaganda to fly into people 's minds without triggering any gag reflex of critical thinking or skepticism which uh, which would happen if people knew the outlets were feeding them propaganda. So propaganda only really has persuasive power if you don't know it's happening to you. Ah, the invisibility of US propaganda is further aided by the subtle methods by which it is administered, which we've seen exemplified beautifully in the coverage of Israel's ongoing US-backed atrocity in Gaza. So it's, this is now we're going to talk about, dear listener, the way... Articles and headlines are worded um, uh, subtly. The Intercept reports that a review of a 1,000 articles from the New York Times, the Washington Post and the Los Angeles Times about Israel's war on Gaza found that the outlets consistently used word choices which served Israeli information interests. Highly emotive terms for the killing of civilians like slaughter, massacre and horrific, were reserved almost exclusively for Israelis who were killed by Palestinians rather than the other way around. Um, And in the report, the term slaughter was used by editors and reporters to describe the killing of Israelis versus Palestinians 60 to 1, and massacre was used to describe the killing of Israelis versus Palestinians 125 to 2, And horrific was used to describe the killing of Israelis versus Palestinians 36 to 4. I find that useful, Joe, because, you know, I could say, as I did before, well, you know, Lisa Miller, uh, David Spears, uh, Lee Sales or whatever, you know, I I consider them fairly right-wing ABC journalists. And it's hard to quantify that feeling other than just saying I'm a critical watcher and this is the view I've come to. But to be able to actually look at words like slaughter, massacre, um, horrific, and see such an imbalance of when those words are used, in a situation where we've got such a horrific massacre occurring in Gaza Mm. and every reason to use those words, I find it really compelling argument. Um, So... That was a useful report, and that's the sort of thing that, you know, okay, The Intercept's a very left-wing magazine but uh, or outlet, but I think when they say they've counted those words and that's what they get, I think we can trust that that would be correct. So as Caitlin Johnston says, this is the sort of manipulation that a casual news consumer wouldn't notice unless you're on alert for bias. Um, do you hear about that girl, Joe in Gaza who was... Um, trapped in a car, her family were no. killed, she was the only one alive, somehow gets on the phone. I think, she, I think she's six years old she'd sort of rung saying, you know, help me, um, I'm really scared and I need help and ambulance was sent and it was blown up as well. Um, cute little girl, terrible, terrible thing to imagine happening to somebody. So... In the reporting of that um, is another illustration of how things are worded. So in the um, CNN, New York Times, BBC reporting on that story used headlines such as five-year-old Palestinian girl found dead after being trapped in car under Israeli fire. Also, missing six-year-old and rescue team found dead in Gaza, aid group says. And Hinderajab, six, found dead in Gaza, days after phone calls for help. That was the Western media. In contrast, Al Jazeera reported, body of six-year-old killed in deliberate Israeli fire found after 12 days. And the Middle East Eye used the words, Hindrajab, Palestinian girl, found dead after being trapped under Israeli fire for days. So it's this sort of softballing description versus the more explicit blaming of Israelis. And it's easy to spot the difference when you have them side by side like that. But if you're just reading one outlet, you don't pick that up. Um, another example she mentions is... Last month, the BBC published an article titled Record Number of Civilians Hurt by Explosives in 2023. As though they were mishandling fireworks or something instead of being actively killed by Israeli bombs. So the headline was Record Number of Civilians Hurt by Explosives in 2023. Um... uh, Contrast this with the BBC's headlines when reporting on Ukrainians killed by Russians and the headline would be Ukraine War, Russian airstrikes claim five lives in Kiev and Mykolaiv, uh, Or Ukraine War, baby killed in Russian strike on Kharkiv Hotel. So in Ukraine, people die from bombs because Russia launched Russian airstrikes and killed them, whereas in Gaza people get hurt by explosions because they got too close to some type of explosive material.
1: Yep, it's their own fault. Yeah.
0: Really interesting examples. So her concluding comments in this great article, these little manipulations fly under the radar if you're not on the lookout for them, such as the brilliance of the US Empire's invisible propaganda machine. That's why it's very difficult to win a propaganda war against the United States... That's why Westerners have been so successfully manipulated into accepting a status quo of endless war, ecocide, injustice and exploitation. And that's why the world looks the way it looks right now. So, yeah, there we go. Media manipulation. It's a sad story. Um, We mentioned previously, just earlier about Joe Biden and uh, how he's sort of apparently slipping into the dotage. Is that the word you used? Yes. Yeah. So he has been investigated in relation to mishandling some classified documents. And the good news is that they've decided that criminal charges are not warranted in this matter. So that's the good news for Joe Biden fans. The bad news for Joe Biden fans is the reason given. And basically that he's such a forgetful old man and that's the way that he would come across in a trial that um, um, uh, it'll likely convince some jurors that he made an innocent mistake rather than acted willfully. Um, So, essentially the reasons given for not proceeding were uh, his mental memory is so poor no one could be convinced that he really knew what he was doing. Not the best way of getting off something if you're the President of the United States, but uh, there you go. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean,
1: um, I remember Neil deGrasse Tyson being interviewed and, yeah, what would you do? If you were President, or what would you do? who would you make president? i can 't remember something along those lines, and he mm. said the problem isn't who's president the problem is who's voting for the president mm-hmm. uh, until until you can change the infrastructure behind it uh, who is president really doesn't matter right well who who's
0: running the empire in the in the system is that what you mean rather than who's voting because until well, the voters don't get to change.
1: Th- no, but I either. mean, even, even the voters, um, I think, are disengaged. Mm. They don't care.
0: Mm. Yeah. So just going on with this article, she says, uh, the US empire has been marching along in exactly the same way it was before Biden took office, completely unhindered by the fact that the person who's supposedly calling the shots is in a state of degenerative neurological freefall. Literally anyone could hold that office and it would make no meaningful difference in the way the US empire is run. The globe-spanning power structure that is centralised around the United States is run not by the official elected government of that nation, but by unelected empire managers who filter in and out of each administration and maintain a steady presence in government agencies and government-adjacent institutions. These empire managers form alliances with corporate powers and working relationships with the many nations' assets and partners who function as members of the undeclared US empire which means there's really not any way for Americans to vote their way out of this mess. Voting in Western democracies is done to give us the illusion of control. I like this bit here coming up. Uh, the, it, voting in Western democracies is done to give us the illusion of control, like letting a toddler play with a toy steering wheel while you drive so they can feel like they're participating.
1: Well, I, um, the fact that Trump was in power for four years and didn't completely fuck the American economy... Hmm. Um, people talked about childminding him. Yeah. That, that they basically didn't carry out his orders because they knew he'd forget them in half an hour.
0: And we spoke in previous episodes recently about, I think, Victoria Newland, who was the one involved with the, uh, the coup in the Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Basically, it didn't matter whether it was a Republican or Democrat um, administration. She got a job with all of them, except when Trump was in power. That was the only time that she wasn't in some high-powered job. So um, that was one of the dangers and one of the reasons why um, a lot of these people don't like Trump was because for the first time in their careers, they would be on the outer. So,
1: yeah, there we go. Unlike (sighs) Kennedy, who completely fucked up the CIA's plan... With the Bay of Pigs.
0: Um, so Kennedy... M- yeah, so... Uh,
1: the, yeah, yeah a they, had a, they had a whole plan about the US reinvading or invading Cuba to bring back yeah. a right-wing government. Yes. And, and Kennedy basically pulled funding for it.
0: Yes. So he uh, said no. That's,
1: that's the whole basis of the CIA killed Kennedy. Uh,
0: but, uh, okay, so this was after the Bay of Pigs. This was another... Another shot no, this was the Bay of,
1: uh, uh, Bay, Bay of Pigs. Basically, um, Kennedy pulled all the support out right. and said, we can't have American assets, it has to be Cubans only, gave a whole bunch of you can't do this, you can't do that, laid down the law. Right, a, and right. apparently that was because, that's why it was such a, a screw-up. Uh, uh, see, I'd heard because, a
0: different story. I'd heard he was right. really pissed with them that he'd, allowed him, that he'd allowed them to talk him into it. And he Okay. That was the version I heard.
1: I, certainly hmm. there was a big fallout with the CIA over the Bay of Pegs.
0: Yeah. The version I heard was he was so pissed with them for getting it so wrong. It was like, Rough. what sort of a f- fucking advice is this from these guys? That was a disaster. So, yeah. The other one I read, the other thing about him was, you know, when they were deciding what to do when, because Russia was sending the nuclear weapons over mm. and the Americans were deciding on their response and – Robert Kennedy, I think, said to Joe Kennedy, we're having all these meetings but there's a danger here that everybody is agreeing with you because you're the president and they don't feel in this group situation that they can give a contrary point of view. And so they allowed the others to have meetings without uh, Kennedy present so people felt freer to give an honest opinion about what they should do and not allow the group think to all the sort of the fear of going against the president, stop them from Mm. saying what they want to say. I believe that's what happened in the lead up to that. Right. Um, The right to disconnect, Joe, seems like lots of people have a problem where their bosses expect them to be available for uh, being contacted after hours either by phone calls or emails, and the Centre for Future Work found that 71% of surveyed employees worked outside their scheduled hours, largely to meet employer expectations. Most of this time, most of this overtime was unpaid. That could be just working late in the office, I guess, as well as phone calls and emails. Ever have a problem, Joe, with some boss expecting you to answer emails at 7 o'clock at night and and saying, why didn't you get back to me about that?
1: Um, no, I mean, I've been in jobs where I've had on call and I've been in jobs mm. where um, there was a, an expectation that out-of-hours work was done. Mm. Um, and, yes, it was unpaid, but it was time and lieu. Uh,
0: okay. Well, so it right. so was, yeah, was paid then in that sense.
1: Well, if you worked an yes. hour at
0: night, then it was considered
1: yeah, I yeah, mean, time and mean. Yes. Um, I've always been in a, a skilled industry and mm. therefore not not as subject to the vagaries of a boss. Mm. But I certainly had um, colleagues who were um, told that they were not allowed to take leave for two weeks out of the month because that was month end mm. and that they weren't allowed any leave at year end, financial year end and were expected to work long hours and were told not to put in overtime claims for Mm -hmm. the hours that they worked. Um, So I think it's very much down to um, your employer's belief on how easy you are to replace.
0: Yes. Is there a power
1: imbalance or not? Absolutely. Mm. And and that's why I gave up on the union a long time ago. Um, not so much because I don't believe in unions, but because um, I wasn't really in a position to be assisted by them, but I have told everybody in a um, more easily replaced job to join a union. Mm-hmm. I, I've always, you know, payroll, people like that who are deemed replaceable by uh, management. I've always said, join a union and get the best representation you can. mm and um, my daughter's peers, uh, again, I've pushed towards um, fair work and um, the unions.
0: Okay. Did she take your advice?
1: Uh, so. On a the uh, union? Yes. And my daughter wow. isn't a member of a union, but. Oh, she's not a member of a union. So she no, hasn't no, taken no. your advice. Well, um, she's not yet employed. But oh, okay. her friends. Right. Yeah, yeah, my right. friends. Uh, one of her friends is an apprentice electrician. Right. And uh, I was saying, you know, if, if you feel you're being underpaid, you're not getting your... Um, Shay you used to work for, I forget who it was, but I pointed them towards uh, that group, passed mm. all the details on and said, if you've got concerns about not being paid fairly, then these are the people to talk to. Mm. Yes. Um. So
0: Labor government, supposedly happening today, don't know if it happened, introducing legislation basically uh, to empower people to be able to disconnect from work. Of course, if your employer is expecting you to answer emails and phone calls after work and you say, I don't have to, and start waving the legislation in their face. Uh, Will you find yourself shunted off to the side down the track? Um, how powerful are you? And can you be um,
1: Yeah, as, as a casual, if you turn down shifts, mm. then you don't get offered shifts.
0: Find yourself missing from the timetable next time.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: so anyway, uh, Labor attempting to do that and also casual workers who have regular work arrangements being able to say, well, I've been the casual this long, you've had me working, for example, every Thursday and Friday from 10 till 3, you now have to offer me a permanent position uh, rather than just casual. So that's good. Let's see um, how that pans out. I think the most interesting part of that is Peter Dutton came out and said he's going to repeal the laws about um, out-of-hours communications. How are these guys going so, to win so, an election?
1: So does that mean we can ring Peter Dutton <laughs> out of his work hours? Yeah. Ring him on, ring him on his home line and say, hey, I, I want to talk to you about this problem I'm having?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, this sort of right to, to disconnect... Dutton has said they're going to repeal that and um, he said that this law is damaging to relations between employers and employees and it hurts productivity.
1: Hmm. I, I, I agree with him. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> since, since he's my MP, he should be available to me on call 24 hours a day to deal with any problems that I have. Yeah. Try that, uh, and I, I want his personal phone number yeah. as his employer. Yeah.
0: I just think, how are these people expecting to win young voters? Um, Next week, you sent me that article. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. About the UK and young voters deserting the Conservative Party in the UK
1: Mm. dramatically. And and scarily not over here. Yes. Not to the same extent.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, So... Next week, Joe, for that article, because mm-hmm. it was quite lengthy and there were a lot of charts. Yeah. Um, but, um, but if Dutton keeps making statements like this, he will be heading in the same direction as the UK Conservatives in terms of his relationship with young people,
1: I think. One can only hope.
0: Mm. Joe, we've spoken a lot about our problems with submarines over the years. What a debacle the whole thing is. There is, it seems, a debacle of the same type, but the numbers are slightly less when it comes to frigates, and I'll get my head around that. Um, but I saw this thing that, that um, I'll just read it. I think it was a tweet. The Japanese make some peculiar television shows and movies with, however, commendable attention to strategy and detail and there's a series out called The Silent Service, in which a Japanese crew steals a US Navy nuclear submarine during their familiarization exercise. Recommended viewing for our Royal Australian Navy submariners during the early stages of their training exercises might shave a few decades off our acquisition of those submarines. It's about the only way we're going to get a nuclear sub out of the Yanks is to follow this model and steal one during a familiarisation exercise.
1: Yeah. Call me a cynic, but I don't think it was ever about getting subs out of the US. Yeah.
0: We mentioned the other day, last week, about single-sex education because there was that... um, Newington College becoming co-ed and mm-hmm. some of the parents, Joe, were crying over Yes, this, some of the old boys. Yes. Yeah. Because
1: yeah. he was going to have a grandchild and now he can't have a grandchild. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he wasn't going to send his grandchild to that school now. Yeah, not going to have that. Um, there's an article here which says that... Um, Just looking at the debate of whether single-sex schools perform better than co-educational schools. And this is a tricky one. So if you've got, e.g., a girl um, who might have an interest in maths and physics, there's been an argument that girls perform better in all-girl schools than they do in co-ed schools, for example, particularly for those subjects. But as the article explains, it's really hard to sort through the data because so much of educational uh, success relates to socioeconomic factors. And the people who end up in single-sex private schools are at a higher socioeconomic level So it's really difficult to look at the data and compare girls of a similar socioeconomic status in single-sex schools with girls, for example, of a similar socioeconomic status in co-ed schools because there's just not enough single-sex schools with that lower socioeconomic background.
1: The other question is... Are exam results the sole measure of success? True. Or do you want a well-rounded person? Yes. Because if you have someone who's got great exam scores but is totally inappropriate dealing with members of the opposite sex, Mm. are they employable?
0: Indeed. Yeah. Because I was hinting at that uh, last week when I was saying how some of the kids who ended up in university and mm-hmm. uh, operated under a disadvantage for a few years till I figured things out. I was one of them. Um, but anyway, for example, in Australia, 14 out of the 20 top performing schools in the latest HSC round were single sex. That was eight all girls and six all boys. And um, uh, as we're top, uh, as we're 12 of the top performing schools in the VCE, that must be Victoria. So, um, but um, here's the interesting part, Joe, is in Ireland, um, where where is it in this? I haven't highlighted it in this thing. But apparently in Ireland, there's a lot of single-sex schools and um, which are government-run and do not have a sort of a selective enrolment bias government funded. that we would have. Yes, government-funded. So don't have a, a socioeconomic slant that's different so much with the co-ed schools. Mm-hmm. And there's a link to a study which was done... And it was by the British Educational Research Journal that basically said they couldn't find um, significant differences in results when looking at the performance of kids in the different schools. So it was more or less saying when you've accounted for socioeconomic factors and other issues, then there was no evidence that single-sex schools led to greater academic achievement as determined by uh, objective scoring systems joe yeah hadn't heard that before but that was
1: that was Um, that that was interesting yeah yeah
0: so um so that's a rundown of the topics and let me joe try and find i want to look at this chat now so do you listen Uh, let me find, how do we get to the chat? I want to scroll through. Yeah, captions, chat, there it is, sorry, thank you. Um, so yeah, that's it, dear listener, in terms of the uh, topics, I thought we'd just quickly run through the chat and see what people had to say. Watley and John saying hello, same with Joel, thank you. Um... So John says that the Chaser podcast did a good wind up of Barnaby today, um, and John also says not to worry about Sky News and its propaganda because it only has three people and a dog watching. <sighs> yeah, the problem is Joe. Goddamn, ABC takes its yes. cues from from the Murdoch. What's it's the what's news window, worthy? isn't it? Yes. So, yeah, yeah, nobody watches the bloody thing, but it does seem to set the agenda for these people, including the ABC. Um, uh, John says, my children have been discussing how casually racist their grandmother has been lately. I just pointed out the generation gap to them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a chat with Dad about um, he made some comments that were possibly not great about gay people. Mm. Uh, and and he said, you have to remember that when I was growing up, being gay was illegal. Yes. You know, uh, society has changed, and sometimes it's very difficult to get rid of your entrenched biases. Mm. Um,
0: Joel says, ABC is very right-wing. It's their entertainment that is left-leaning. That would be true. So someone like... um Sean McAuliffe, Um, he was was skewering um, Scott Morrison and his group. Uh, Yes. The government of the day, yes. He took, no doubt, great delight in that. So, uh, yeah, that would be true. It's their entertainment that is left-leaning. Good point, Joel. Um, uh, Watley says, seems legit. Batboy will one day be president of the USA.
1: His this, was, what is th- this is about the weekly word news. This is Don's comment. Right. It was the Men in Black. Oh, okay. So it was the newspaper in Men in Black that you read to find out the truth because it was the one that was telling you all about aliens abducting Elvis or whatever. Oh, okay. Right. right. Okay. Um,
0: John says, Putin gives a history lesson from his point of view. doesn't sound very convincing Whatley tells him to be objective Um, and uh, Whatley says torture is better than murder than Joe. I don't know what that means.
1: Um, So that was talking about Julian Assange and the Russian journalists. Right. And the answer is uh, neither are great but one person being tortured is probably better than 100 people being pushed out of windows. Yes. I I think that neither side are great, it's just a, a, a level of. How many Shittiness. people were in Guantanamo again?
0: Just, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, Probably a hundred, but if they
0: weren't we, journalists, we, were they? We're talking, okay, if, we're, if we're just talking people killed. Oh, no. In t- okay, t- in terms the American why isn't to push people out of windows. It's just to bomb them if they're brown and they're in a desert, you know. Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, and John says, please see who the report was done by, a Republican-endorsed official.
1: That was to, was to do, do with Biden is? being senile. Well, this was, the, that said, um, that well said
0: this
1: was the well I think this was the people looking at the
0: indictment. I think these were the lawyers looking at the indictment, John. Yeah,
1: apparent apparently he's a Republican.
0: Right. Okay. Don't know. Yeah. Okay. And that was the chat. We'll try and do that every week. So if you do make a comment, you will be heard. And uh there we go. Scott well, was a comment.
1: Mm-hmm. about our country was founded on the criminal element, justifying we should steal the submarine. But I'm thinking that maybe that's a good argument back to the, this nation was founded on Christian values, was this nation was founded on criminals. So does that justify us all being criminals now? Uh, are you reading that in the main chat on the on the right? Where did you read that? Yes. Scroll all the way down. I still keep going and...
0: The last one I've got is by John saying, please see who the report was done by, a Republican-endorsed official.
1: There's another three under that.
0: Why why can't I see them?
1: Mm. They're they're up on on the screen, on the chat. Maybe because
0: they're on the screen that they don't appear in that right chat. They do. Uh, Okay. Mine's not scrolling, but anyway. Okay. Uh, Uh... Don't forget, our country was founded on the criminal element, so it's their patriotic duty to flog anything that isn't bolted to the floor. (laughs) Good one, Don. Uh, uh, Monster Dutton or Voldemort. Um, Chris says, why isn't there an option other than Biden in the next election? And uh, because democracy is failing, Chris. And um, uh, yeah, okay, those didn't appear in my... Right inside. Anyway. Mm. All right, dear listener, that is a wrap on this podcast, episode 417. Scott wasn't with us. He had other commitments. He should be back next week. And, uh, yeah, I'll be back next week. But next week, Joe, will be my last podcast, hopefully, wearing glasses.
1: Oh. Yeah. So you're going to be blind the week after, are you? <laughs>
0: yeah. So in the after next week's podcast, I'm getting new intraocular lenses, well, synthetic ones put in
1: because I had
0: uh, cataracts appearing and they said, well, we need to fix that up and while we're at it, would you like some new lenses and you won't need glasses. And I thought, wow, I've worn glasses since I was 16. So that will be an interesting life-changing event for me. So yeah. So next week glasses but then in the days following that um, Don says he's getting bionic eyes Steve Austin style. <laughs> John and Chris say good night. Good night to everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye for now.
1: And it's a good night from him.